this discussion, discussions of truth. Uh, Ian Treche here with you. Coming up here this hour, Cassandra Spencer. This is a pre-recorded uh, episode, and uh, what I have uh, described here is that uh, of recent, um, uh, of recent, uh, I have uh, been uh, out of studio. So uh, again, uh, this uh, the book, uh, the book, or excuse me, the show is. Uh, Shows in its uh, fourth, uh, going coming up on its uh, it's in its fourth season. It's coming up on its fifth uh, fifth year of doing this. I started the show in South Beach, um, and uh, for well three and a half, close to four years, uh, the show was uh, uh, the show aired from Winwood Radio, and uh, and then uh, because of the need to really uh, make the show mobile, um, I went to a. Um, uh, I went to a, 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 a mobile platform and uh, the show um, it typically is heard live Wednesdays at 5 p.m. Um, on winwood1.com. Uh, you know, I'd actually uh, make that, uh, see if that uh, is winwood1.radio, see if that uh, domain is available. Anyway, so uh, the, the quick... Uh, the quick on this is that iantrachier.com was, uh, was taken down, folks. Taken down. So uh, the show began as the Florida Sun and Spray show. That lasted probably two months at Winwood Radio. Uh, and, uh, and then um, uh, Adrian, uh, the, uh, the owner of the station, then uh, came to me and said, Hey, Ian, uh, you know, what, what you really got here is a discussion of truth. Uh, just from the various uh, folks that I had uh, had on the program, uh, uh, Charlotte Eisbert, uh, former Reagan advisor. Uh, look, I, I typically try to not take uh, sides politically, uh, 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 but uh, but yeah, there's certain things that I that I that I that I have realized uh, that I uh, should be and uh, do need to be kind of voicing an opinion on. Uh, so the past uh, couple months, uh, I've been involved with the uh, Google whistleblower. His name is Zach Voorhees, um, and uh, and I, I I'd really gotten behind. Uh, He's whistleblowing and uh, took it to the uh, the then sitting president Donald Trump. Uh, whereas on the video on my uh, website, uh, I'm not sure if it's uh, seen, but if you click on the tag that says "Prize Fighter" with a headline, then that'll take you to the video that, that shows uh, the uh, shows Donald J. Trump uh, calling me a prize fighter. He did. Yeah, we were at a we're at a uh, we're at the uh, restaurant in Doral. Uh, the Doral National Golf Club, and uh, he walks in, and uh, and and look, uh, the the story behind that is that uh, that I had pushed uh, Voorhees' agenda uh, to people that are very close to to the president, and uh, and I said, hey, you know, you've got to get this guy's message out to the president as soon as possible, and um, we it was about ten o'clock at night, and he had, uh, Donald had given given his uh, given his presentation at uh, the NBC Town Hall. Biscayne Bay at the Perez Art Museum at the time, and um, a return to Doral, uh, unbeknownst to any of, any of us there at the time, I didn't know that uh, he was going to be coming in. He walked into the restaurant, uh, ladies and gentlemen, the President of the United States of America, <coughs> America and um, and, and, he, and he, he walks up to uh, Voorhees and he says, uh, "Thanks for your service, to an American hero." And he points at me. I mean, there's probably 200 people in the room. And he points at me and he says, "Hey, uh, who's this guy? He looks like a." 
looking like a prize fighter. So anyway, so uh, 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 I have not been doing the shows consistently at Wednesdays at 5 p.m. because I've been in D.C. and then I've been over in Texas and I've been up in Palm Beach and I've been out of the Pacific Northwest where I had been the past uh, over a year. Then I was in Canada and uh, now uh, back down in South Florida. Um been been back down here for for a few months now. So uh, here and there, but uh, again, that transition to uh, mobilization, <coughs> uh, availability of the various studios that I've used. Um, that uh, Wednesday five o'clock. Uh, look, look, if you go to discussyourtruth.com, um, you will find uh, a past episode streaming twenty four seven. Now, the point of this was <coughs> that andrewtruth.com. <coughs> pardon me. Antrache.com uh, was taken down by the host that I've been using for about 10 years now. I hadn't used the host. Yeah, I'd use Antrache. I'd been using it for about a San Francisco-based host. They took it down. They took, the, they took the website down because I had started a website called StopCommunism.com. No, uh, .net. StopCommunism.net. And about two weeks after starting that, uh, the traction grew and boom. They took that site down. They took it down on a whole bunch of other my sites, including Antrache.com. So I now have a new host. Uh, with a slightly different look to the landing page. But uh, some of the pages don't exist. If you are familiar with the website and you've gone to the website, it is a little bit different than it has been the past uh, few years. Impact. How I went behind enemy lines in a struggle against the far left. Why, folks? Latest book from Cassandra Spencer. She'll be joining us here in a few moments. Why? is the independent journalist, the civilian journalist. And I use that term uh, with much importance, folks. Why is the civilian, the independent civilian, maybe not independent, not appropriate, a truly independent, truly independent? Because mainstream media is not independent. It's very corporate and uh, therefore uh, it caters to the, uh, the narratives of the profitizing of the corporations. So why is it that the truly independent, whereas that therefore translating now today into the civilian journalist, why is the civilian journalist of the importance that it is today that it hasn't been historically? Uh, Whereas... That will be the topic of discussion here in the next uh, 40 minutes or so. Now, Cassandra uh, uh, is also uh, joining us from Texas. So um, we will, uh, anyway, we will uh, will be hosting hosting, hosting her here uh, momentarily. Um... No more lies. Freedom reserved. No more lies. Published by Trine Day. I've had the agreement now for a while, and I know many of you have been waiting for this book to be released. It was due to release last May. And it was postponed because of this pandemic. And it has now been postponed further. But if you have it on pre-order, 
know that I'm working with publisher to get this going. Again, there is agreement. There is understanding. The book will be published. Uh, for some reason, it's not available on Barnes & Noble anymore. But uh, Amazon, uh, Chapters, um, Indigo, various uh, online accessible uh, you can still pre-order it. Please do pre-order. I know a number of people that have pre-ordered it. Uh, this book will be coming out. And uh, furthermore, I've got to... Uh, I'm even starting on a new book. Okay, I, I'm starting on a new book. That's just the way it is. Um, there's way too much information as a civilian journalist, which I never, I never consider myself a civilian journalist. In fact, I don't even consider myself a uh, radio talk show host. Um... I, um, but that's what I do. I do both of those things, don't I? So, um, but, but yeah, so, so, that, so it is what it is. Uh, and, um, uh, anyway, so, so, uh, Freedom Reserve No More Lies. You can pre-order, pre-order it now, Ian Trottier. Uh, you can go to my website, iantrottier.com. You can find, right, you can find a link for it right there. You can click it and you pre-order it. So please do so. Um, and, um, and that is what it is. Uh, last hour, we just finished with Curtis Morley, uh, a great business thinker. Um, I, uh, I recommend, if you are an entrepreneurial spirit uh, or if you have a great concept or idea, uh, entrepreneursparadox.com, uh, go to it and reach out to Curtis, buy his book. Um, this is a, uh, a great business thinker. He's got some incredible accolades. Uh, he's a former uh, executive at uh, William the uh, 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 Franklin Covey, and uh, um, and I, I, I uh, and there's a lot to be uh, lot to be garnered and uh, 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 received from uh, from Curtis and, and his uh, philosophical approach to uh, building building your own business. Uh, so this was the uh, discussion uh, we just finished. Last hour, and of course, uh, Cassandra Spencer standing by. Uh, let's uh, bring her in now. Let's bring uh, Cassandra Spencer in right now, ladies and gentlemen. Cassandra Spencer. Yeah, this is uh, Discuss the Truth, and uh, this is a pre recorded uh, session. Here. Let's see if Cassandra is. Uh, uh, let's see here. Uh, there you are. Cassandra, hi, how are you? Hey, I'm good. How are you? Uh, I'm doing a fantastic. Uh, welcome to Discussion of Truth. And uh, I, have we have have you and I met? Do we know each other? I don't think we've met. Have I don't we? think we, I don't think we've ever actually met. No, I don't believe we have. Okay, so for listeners to understand, um, so so I just I I, I I start the show at the top of the hour, and then I do some dialogue. Uh, I just finished with a great business. Uh, uh, he's written a book called The Entrepreneurial's Paradox. Um, I, I, I had him on the last hour. I usually do my shows Wednesdays at 5 p.m. Cassandra, but uh, uh, because of what I was explaining, and listeners will tie this in, what I was explaining uh, is uh, uh, I, I usually go, Winwood One, I started my show about four years ago, four, over four years ago in, in the uh, Winwood uh, neighborhood of Miami and would use uh, Winwood Radio and the studio uh, but then uh, I, I went to a different platform. Winwood One uh, is is a site that we started, um, and um, what I'm tying in here for you, and I want you to give an introduction to listeners. But um, mm-hmm. what I'm tying in for you, uh, Cassandra, is uh, is you and I are connected. This is why I asked you that question. You and I are connected through 
through through uh, a, a few mutual friends that would include uh, Marion Henning, uh, but also and, and by the way, Cassandra, she was the the first guest on my show. Uh, oh wow! Uh, yeah, yeah, she she. Um, she found me on Twitter uh, due to the Zika virus, and that's kind of what spawned uh, this uh, this broadcast that I've been doing now, uh, closing in on five years. Um, but uh, uh, Miriam was, uh, you know, so we, we've been a friend for for, for, for years now, and uh, but but we also know uh, uh, each other through um, uh, through Zach Voorhees, the Google whistleblower. So uh, so anyway, so welcome to discuss your truth, and uh, Cassandra, uh, uh, take a few moments and and please give an introduction to yourself for listeners. Uh, yeah, I'm more than happy to. So, um, obviously, my name is Cassandra Spencer. Um, the thing that I'm most known for is I was the original Project Veritas um, whistleblower. So, I used to be a contractor at Facebook from 2017 to 2018, and I blew the whistle on. Um, I uncovered documents regarding censorship and, uh, you know, plans to, you know, silence essentially conservative voices. On the platform, um, I leaked the documentation to Project Veritas. Um, lost my job at Facebook because of it, and then eventually I went on to work for Project Veritas as an undercover journalist, um, where I exposed more big tech stuff, including you mentioned Zach Voorhees. Um, I was the undercover journalist, well, one of the undercover journalists on his story, and then um, I got to help many other whistleblowers tell their stories, as well as do a lot of undercover work into various political campaigns, including Beta O'Rourke. Bernie Sanders. I did work on voter fraud um, here in Texas, as well as um, a double voter in New Hampshire and Florida who actually ended up being convicted of a felony. Whoa. So. Whoa, you're just throwing that one out there. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, so Texas, you're, yeah. you're, you're in Texas. <laughs> um, and um, yes. we, can, we, <laughs> we can get into that, but uh, that's, a, uh, that's a lot you threw out there. So you were, but let's get back to... Um, Facebook. Um, what was? Um, yeah, what, sorry if I look a little rough. It's it's been a rough week. <laughs> no, 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 no. I, 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 no, we. I, of course, you can see that I don't have my video going. Um, but uh, no apologies uh, necessary. Uh, yeah. So anyway, so so rough week in Texas. Um, were you working for Facebook out of San, uh, uh, the uh, was it Mountain View or uh, 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 Palo Alto? Where were you working with Facebook? Physically. No, so I was a contractor. Oh. I was a contractor at Facebook, and I worked at their Austin facility, so downtown Austin, Texas. Okay, um, uh, and so Austin hosts the uh, South by Southwest uh, uh, conference, uh, right? Isn't isn't Austin's known for that? Isn't yep. it? Yeah, Austin has kind of become like, um, in, in essence, kind of the new Silicon Valley. Like we've had a lot of um, Silicon Valley people moving out here, and a lot of tech companies moving out here, like. You know, now Tesla's relocated out here. Apple's building a massive campus out here just because the Bay Area's just gotten, you know, out of control expensive. And so they've all kind of been migrating here to Texas. Yeah, yeah. For better it, or for worse. Yeah, so I'm actually from uh, Northern California originally, and I worked for a small startup, not, uh, a small startup called uh, Retelligence. Uh, this, was, this was 10 years ago, but we had this small little office on Lytton in Palo Alto, and... Um, one of our one of our one of our first and I was only with him for about a year. Uh, and then I got a different offer somewhere else. I went some, I went in a different route. But um, one of our first um, uh, non disclosures, one of our first uh, 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 supporters um, was uh, well, Eric. Is it Eric Schmidt? He's the uh, former CEO of Google. Isn't that, isn't Eric Eric Schmidt? I think it's Eric. 
I'm asking, I, is it Eric? That sounds right. Yeah, Eric. That sounds right. I'm not entirely, like, I wouldn't want to place any bets that I'm right, but yeah. um, that sounds right. Yeah. Um, anyway, so, um, the, yeah, the tech industry obviously is um, something that I'm a little bit familiar with, not a whole lot, not a whole, not a whole lot. Um, uh, uh, impact, how I went behind enemy lines in a struggle against the far left. You mentioned Bernie Sanders. So, um, you know, this is, <laughs> this, is, uh, this is great. This is juicy. I love it. You, uh, uh, you can buy it right now. Uh, Amazon on Amazon.com. You can pre-order it right now. Oh, pre-order it. Okay. Uh, the book comes out on March 9th is when Impact um, is the official release date for Impact. Okay. Yeah. We've, we have the Kindle pre-orders available right now. Um, the book will be available in paperback, hardcover, as well as Kindle. Um, but those will all be available on March. Excellent. Is um, the actual publication date. What was it that you found at Facebook that alarmed you? As a as a contractor, uh, that uh, that caused you to blow the whistle. So, the, what was interesting about the Facebook situation is I actually worked in their intellectual property department. Um, I would handle like copyright and trademark claims, and so when I took that job, I thought that I would be, you know, kind of immune from dealing with anything that was overtly political, right? You don't think that that's going to be the issue you're dealing with. You know, most of the day is spent taking down illegal streams of Disney movies or Game of Thrones, right? And so um, occasionally I would get a a copyright ticket um, that would involve like a prominent conservative personality. And I started to notice like odd notes on their accounts because I'd be looking at the account on the back end to evaluate, you know, the merits of the copyright or trademark claim. And so I saw it once. You know, and I was kind of like, well, that's that's a little odd, you know, but you move on. And then you keep seeing it over and over again, and you notice that it's only on the conservative pages. And so then, you know, that obviously piques my curiosity. And so then I start, you know, keeping track of, like, where I'm seeing uh, this code that actually said, like, IA live action de-boost live distribution. And uh, did I lose you? Nope. You're, yeah. We, okay. We're good. We're good. Okay. Um, so I kept seeing this code and then, you know, I, I kind of go down the proverbial rabbit hole and eventually I come across documents that talk about like a, um, a troll report, which was very thinly guys referring to conservatives, you know, saying trolls use certain language like, you know, MSM for mainstream media and, We may have lost her, actually. Cassandra, can you hear me? Okay, she did pre-warn me by saying that uh, the reception may be shoddy. Let's see if she can get we can get her back in. She's in Texas. Okay, so Cassandra, if you can hear me, we can't hear you. So we're just waiting for uh, waiting for this to. Uh, Recollaborate. Okay, um, I'm just just waiting to see if Cassandra gets back on. Uh, if we get her back, okay. I'm I'm in I'm in Miami, and uh, and I've got a Wi-Fi signal. I've got a strong Wi-Fi signal. So uh, this is okay. We've lost her. 
Uh, that's fine. I've got... Uh, it's all right. Uh, okay, there she is. Uh, let's bring this back and Cassandra. Okay, well, now what are you going to do with it? And, you know, there's no internal reporting mechanism at Facebook where if you notice something that you think is off that you can, like, you know, bring up your concerns, especially as, you know, a contractor um, to someone higher up the company. And so um, I ended up deciding to go to Project Veritas. I saw a tweet by James O'Keefe, you know, asking if there was anyone on the insides of these tech companies to reach out. So I sent an email to the tip line and then it just went from there. Excellent. Um, now, uh, I've had, I've been in contact with, um, anyway, we've, we've, I've had, I've had a representative from uh, Project Veritas uh, on the program as well. And uh, uh, we assume my listeners are familiar with uh Project Veritas. Uh, was that a was that a, was that a productive uh, decision of yours, Cassandra, to uh, to 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 join teams with uh, with Project Veritas? Was that a was it productive? I'm sorry, you cut out for a second. Was that was that a, a good productive? decision? Yeah, yeah, it was, yeah, it was, uh, yeah. I think at the time um, I did not know whether it was because I lost my job very quickly. Um, I ended up in complete poverty. I ended up having to apply for food stamps. Wow, which. You know, I was a single mom who put themselves through college. Wow. Like, I had never had to apply to, for food stamps or anything like that. But it got to a point where my, my old roommate and I, we didn't even know if we were going to be able to make rent. And so I had to swallow my pride and do whatever it took to survive in that moment. And so in that moment, I did not know whether I made the right choice. It, it seemed like a stupid decision because I gave up, you know, stable job, easy job, good job. And... um was kind of thrust into the unknown. Now, eventually, I went on to work for Project Veritas full-time as an undercover journalist, which that's that's a whole other story that's in the book, of, you know, um, of what led me to end up doing that. And so the work that I ended up doing as an undercover journalist was so rewarding and so important mm. that, yes, it was a productive choice, even though I didn't. it was very hard to see that, and I had to have faith. For a long time, before I was able to see the results, uh, the positive like result of me making that decision. Uh, do you is Project Veritas in your view is that a reputable source for listeners to go to to uh, receive uh, reporting on issues? Yes, absolutely. Having been an undercover journalist there, um, they are so prone to lawsuits. They're eight and O in lawsuits. Wow. So. Um, I would say it's extremely reputable because they are under such constant attack from the mainstream press or the legacy media, whatever you want to call them, um, that if their reporting was not as accurate as it is, then they would have been sued into oblivion and into bankruptcy by now. Um, but time after time, they've won these lawsuits because the reporting speaks for itself. Because this is the form of reporting where you have people on video speaking in their own words. This isn't, you know, an anonymous source said, this is, okay, well, you know, guy who works for the Bernie Sanders campaign says that they want to throw Republicans into gulags. It's his mouth moving. You can see him on the tape. He's very clearly speaking in complete sentences. Mm. Um, you know, he never, these people never come back and say, oh, no, I didn't say that. It's clearly you. So... Um, I think it's a very reputable 
source. Of course, I do have an inherent bias having worked there, but I can I stand by all the reporting that I've ever done. Um, like I said, it's already led to at least one felony conviction of a double voter in New Hampshire and Florida. So obviously that was a reputable report that exposed some of the vulnerabilities in our electoral system. Now, I mentioned Zach Voorhees for listeners, and mm-hmm. uh, and, and if, if folks are not familiar with him, um, uh, the president uh, called him an American hero in Doral. I don't know if you're familiar with that story, not Cassandra, but uh, um, he. Yeah, look, so here's a former Google Earth engineer, uh, and he's coming across an algorithm called machine learning fairness, um, and he says, "Wait a second, these are attacking conservative voices." Now, I, I try to be. Uh, bipartisan and frankly nonpartisan um, in my in my approach um, to uh, discussions uh, uh, and uh, uh, you know again so the parallel here is that you're a contractor for Facebook and you're saying that hey Facebook is is going after conservative voices as well um, were you at that time was there any particular side of the aisle that you found yourself residing on politically or did you reside on either uh, side? I- I think I always have been, you know, slightly right of center. Um, I don't try to hide that. But because of what I was seeing, I really, you know, especially because I knew that there was a high probability I would lose my job if I leaked this information, right? I I wasn't deluded into thinking that this tech company was never going to figure out what was going on. Right. Um, So I intentionally then would look at pages of left-leaning you know, I thought I had several working theories. I thought maybe this was just like a mainstream outlet versus independent outlet kind of thing. Um, so I looked at more uh, left-leaning independent outlets, you know, kind of like the Young Turks or like Colin Kaepernick. I didn't see this; these notes appear on those pages. Um, you know, so I, I wanted, I tried to, you know, test the theory that I had to see, is it really against conservative thought or is it, you know, mainstream versus independent? Is it, you know, just one or two accounts? But this is something I saw probably over, I would guess, a total of half a dozen accounts that were always prominent conservatives. And so to me at that point, and especially then when I saw the documentation of what they were referring to as trolls, um, it very clearly was targeting language that was used by right-leaning sites. Because, you know, the left, no one refers to the the mainstream media as like as the mainstream media or the MSN. No one talks about that on the left side of the aisle, right? That's that's clearly vernacular that's used by the right. And, um, you know, calling people like normies and, and mind you, this is several years ago. Mm-hmm. Some of this language has been co-opted by the left a little bit more. But um, back then it was not. So to me it was pretty clear um, and I felt like I did my due diligence in testing my theory to see whether it was occurring to people on the other side of the aisle or whether it really was just conservatives. Uh, Cassandra, in your view, uh, did the left steal the uh, 2020 election? Not in the sense that, see, that's like a very like loaded term, I think. Um, I think that there were many things that the left did to tip the scales in the 2020 election. I think stole is a strong word, but big tech, by doing the things they did, by affecting their algorithms, by biasing, you know, the censorship, 
um, they definitely put their thumb very strongly on the scale. And that's why, to me, and I've been saying this ever since my identity was made public, um, mm -hmm. was that big tech is actually the biggest threat to our democracy. Mm -hmm. um, and that should concern anybody, whether they are left, right, or center, is that these completely unelected corporations have entirely too much power over our public discourse, over our daily lives. Yeah. And that's kind of been my biggest fight, personally. So um, even yeah. though, yes, I am a right-leaning person, and yes, the censorship is affecting the right more right now, but I don't want to see that happen to anybody. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah, no, and this is a loaded response as well. Um, uh, uh, so, so I think for listeners to identify with where you might be going, Sandra would be uh, Section Two Thirty. But let's 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 backtrack. I want to I want to go into a, a different. You've uh, you, you, you've you've basically gone into a, a, a term that that I was talking about when I did my intro. In that, um, what we're seeing today is I think as a result of the. I'm going to say it, the corruption in mainstream media. Uh, now, there's corruption in both left and right sides of that, of that media uh, okay. uh, 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 pyramid. Uh, but, uh, uh, and that's a key word that, that, that I'm throwing out as well. But, but, uh, but, but because of that corruption, uh, and now big tech is, is threads into that, but it's also separate, uh, but it's part of it. Uh, because of that corruption, the importance of people like Cassandra – um, and even what what I do here with the discussion of truth, uh, the importance of that kind of civilian independent reporter uh, is uh, is becoming more and more important. Um, and 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 how do you, in your view, Cassandra, uh, what what kind of drives what drives this uh, what drives this corruption in 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 the mainstream media, MSN? Um, it's kind of you know, and people like to throw around the term like a deep state. And I don't view the deep state as being some sort of conspiracy theory or anything like that, or this like, you know, cabal of people twirling their mustaches. What I think the deep state and also the legacy media are, it's, it's a bunch of self-serving bureaucrats who they've achieved a certain amount of wealth, they've achieved a certain amount of power, and they will do whatever it takes to maintain and hold that. And that's not even necessarily a, a it's not even so much that they have a partisan agenda as they have a self-serving agenda. Whatever is going to preserve their power, grow their power, is they will do whatever it takes to get more power, maintain the power they have. And that's kind of, I think, where the corruption comes in is because you have so much power consolidated into the hands of such a small number of, I, I think it's like what, almost all the media outlets are owned by like six corporations. Right, right. Yeah. Right. So yeah, exactly. I think that's where you're, you're kind of seeing that. And I think... You have a similar phenomenon that happens in government, tech, and media. It's all kind of the same concept where you have a small number of people who are in power and will do whatever it takes to maintain that power. So, you know, we live in a we, – we're thinking we're living in a kind of a free trade, free enterprise type uh, economic, economic society. However um, – However, like you just said, the 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 mainstream media is owned by about six different corporations, um, and that's changed through the recent decades. Uh, whereas uh, in the eighties, I think you could identify close to a hundred different corporations owning uh, the, the main media outlets, but that's becoming consolidated, and the powers the power is being 
um, narrowed to fewer and fewer as 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 time goes on. What is that? A, what is that a product of? Is that a product of capitalism? What what is that a product of? I wouldn't say that's a product of capitalism. If anything, that's a product of um, kind of like a, a, a cronyism and just. That's, you know, that's interesting because, yeah, I, I wouldn't say that that's pure capitalism because when you have a market that, you know, that essentially like if you look at Facebook's acquisition of like Instagram and WhatsApp, they're consolidating their power. And if you look at how Amazon took down Parler, I think that's probably the prime example here in recent history. You know, I guess Parler's back up within the past few days where anytime that there's an attempt for there to be in a competitor that these companies are working sometimes mm -hmm. in coordination with each other, whether it be that I know less about the media space, admittedly, than I do the tech space, where you have these companies that are working essentially as one body, even though they are separate entities, to eliminate any competition. And to me, that's not um, pure capitalism. Yeah, this is, this is a great point. And, and it makes me think of a, 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 a recent guest. He's, he's actually been on the show uh, a few times. Uh, Tom Hartman. Are you familiar with the progressive talk show host Tom Hartman? Um, no, I don't believe I'm familiar with him. Uh, uh, Tom's put out a series of books and he's kind of dived into the uh, judicial system, the superior court, and, uh, and his, his most recent installment is going into, um, going into the, the U.S. monopolies historically. The, the, the country has had a, an issue, a problem with monopolies, whether it be from the uh, influence of the British West Indies a company during the foundation uh, 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 in 1776 uh, to uh, one of its products, uh, the uh, Standard Oil, in, in the, the the power and struggle uh, struggle of power control um, through through the Rockefeller Foundation, um, uh, and, and so you know, and that's that comes to light in the development of the Council on Foreign Relations and other organizations and political think tanks uh, that are uh, that are tied to uh, some of these. Some of these corporations, but 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 let's get into uh, your book, Cassandra Impact: How I Went Behind Enemy Lines in Our Struggle Against the Far Left. What does that mean? And speak a little bit about the book. Okay, so um, basically, what the title means is because I was an undercover journalist, and essentially, my whole life, I was born in Hawaii, oh, wow. and then when I started college, I went to NYU. So I wow. spent my whole life surrounded by the left. You know, wow. all my formative years, I actually went to the same school that Barack Obama went to. His fifth grade teacher was my fourth grade teacher. What? So, yeah, true story. Um, not the same time. I'm younger than Barack yeah. Obama. Well, you look significantly. young. <laughs> <laughs> um, and you're more attractive. Uh, yeah, true, true story, though. Sorry. Yeah, okay. <laughs> all right. What's the name of the school? Uh, Punahou School in Hawaii. In Honolulu? Honolulu Hawaii. Where is it? Mm -hmm. In Honolulu. Okay. Um, yeah. Uh, well, I, I know Honolulu. I've 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 surfed uh, Waikiki, and I know that Duke statue there. Um, uh, in 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 Hawaii is wonderful. So you, so you go from the, the literal uh, furthest furthest uh, uh, left side of the country over to not politically speaking over to the furthest uh, right side of the country. Um, and uh, anyway, so um, so so you're talking about NYU and um, going behind enemy lines in the struggle uh, against the far left. Right. And so because I kind of grew up amongst the left and, you know, most of my friends from high school and everything else, they're all left of center, too. 
And so then I found myself in this position, you know, A, I'm at a left-leaning company, I'm at Facebook, so I'm, you know, essentially in the belly of the beast there as a conservative working at Facebook. And then eventually I go on to become an undercover journalist, and so then I am, like, I'm literally in the political campaigns of, like, Bernie Sanders and Beto O'Rourke. And I find myself there for months at a time, you know, surrounded by people who are you know, in some cases, extremely far left um, to the point of political violence and radicalism. Um, Kamala Harris? I, I don't no, know sorry. how familiar you are with... I, there was a tape that came out of a Bernie Sanders staffer where he literally talked very unironically, not joking, about um, he wanted to put Republicans either in re-education camps or to line them up on the beach and shoot them. Wow. Um, he even talked about killing the Clintons. He talked about how if Bernie Sanders didn't win the nomination, that cities were going to burn and that cops were going to get beat up. And this is, mighty, this is 2019. This is before all the riots in 2020 started. So wow. it was very um, telling of what was going to happen, uh, you know, down the road. And so this guy, you know, it's like I'm spending time with these people. And so I am behind enemy lines. You know, I'm, I'm actually a conservative but I'm undercover because I'm an undercover journalist right. amongst these people. And it's because I grew up around, you know, people who are far left. Mind you, my the people who I associate with are not extremists or violent. But because I kind of know, like, the vernacular, I know how, you know, I know what their arguments are. I know how they think. It made it where it was very easy for me to go into an undercover role because it's like, well, that's how I grew up. These are the kinds of people I grew up around. I, I feel completely comfortable being surrounded by people who I don't agree with. In fact, sometimes I feel more comfortable yeah. being surrounded by people I don't agree with than being around, a, you know, at a, at a conservative event because I'm not used to it. <laughs> right. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, so that is that is. Uh, are, are are you in a position to uh, reveal the name of this individual, or, and where did that individual get these? Are they, where did he where did he get these concepts? Or uh, uh, of uh, uh, like you're saying, this is 2019, so this is kind of a precursor to what we experienced in 2020. Was this person being fed uh, information from 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 somewhere? And if they were, from where were they receiving it? Um, well, he admitted that he was part of Antifa. Um, he even had wow. a giant Antifa sticker on his laptop, um, I, you know, because it was interesting because I remember I was working undercover and, you know, I had sent in my report for that day. And they're like, oh, you, you, you know, I get back a report from my supervisor and be like, you need to corroborate that, you know, he's he's involved with Antifa, blah, blah, blah. And I said, you guys just read the transcript. You didn't see the video, did you? And they're like, well, no, we haven't had a chance to review the video yet. And I said, he has a giant sticker on his laptop that says Antifa. He's not trying to hide it. (laughs) Right. You know, um, and so where he's getting these ideologies, I think it's from some of these, you know, very radical far left groups. Um, His name was Kyle Jurek. Um, I'm not uncomfortable. His name was revealed in the Project Veritas release. Um, I believe that was published in January of 2020 is when the piece actually came out. Um. It was just 2019 when I was in Iowa. Um, But, yeah, I mean, you see these kind of radical people, and it wasn't just him. That was the problem, is out of the, you know, eight or nine people that worked in the office, all but maybe one or two were as radical as he was. Wow. By his own admission. And I said that was something unique, 
to that campaign, I was, because I remember even saying, I was like, I've been in a lot of political campaigns at this point. I was in the campaign of almost every Democrat that was running in that primary at some point or another. And I said, there was something off about that group of people. And, uh, and I said, it's something that's dangerous and radical. It, w- it was the first time where I actually had to go to my supervisor and be like, listen, I think this person's dangerous. I, I need backup as in like, I don't want to be the only journalist yeah. around with this individual. Um, so Cassandra yeah. was, you know, I mean, okay. There's a, there's a few tie-ins here. We've got uh, we've got this second impeachment of a sitting president that just transpired, uh, you know, within the past uh, two weeks. Um, and, uh, you know, he's being impeached when he's out of office or he's being impeached as a civilian. But then we've got then we've got um, you know, this comment by um, was it Lindsey Graham saying um, saying that Kamala Harris should be <laughs> should be hit. articles of impeachments filed against her for 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 language that she's spoken in support uh, of, uh, 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 of, you know, the BLM movement that's caused some of this violence. Um, so it's kind of some of these stories when you were working in 2009 with this fellow that was openly supporting Antifa and, 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 and certainly, you know, uh, uh, advertising it, um, uh, was Bernie Sanders aware of this? I don't think he did anything to discourage it. Um, wow. while Bernie Sanders, it, and that's the thing you'll notice kind of with these politicians is, I mean, politicians are slick. They're polished. Very rarely are you going to get the actual politician on record saying anything that's going to be considered extreme. But when you look at the people who they hire, if you look at the people who they, they pay to be representatives of them, of their campaign. And like I said, this wasn't just one guy. This wasn't a, this was not a volunteer. This was a paid staffer. And if you looked at this office of people and then, Project Veritas went around to multiple Bernie Sanders offices around the country and found staffers, paid staffers, all saying the exact types of things, supporting gulags, you know, supporting violent action in the streets. Like, oh, I want to arm up and, you know, I want to take it to the streets. I want to, you know, attack cops. I want to attack ICE. And so it, it became something where it's like, it's very clearly you and I will specify once again that this was different. While you may have seen some elements of this in other political campaigns, in the Bernie campaign, it was the most blatant and obvious, where it was like the majority of your staffers are this way. It's not just, this is not an anomaly by any means. But he's the he's the really easygoing, hippie-type non-conflict, isn't he? No, I'm kidding. Uh, no, he's, he's just a, <laughs> I mean, in, in all honesty, I spent um, one time, I spent probably several hours within 10 feet of Bernie Sanders. Um, I did not really talk to him directly much, but um, in my opinion, he's just a grumpy old man. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. You know, uh, like, and I, I do write about some of these experiences because I had so many in-person experiences with these politicians um, from hold, having to hold Joe Biden's hand for three minutes. <laughs> hmm. Awkward. And, you know, I've met, and then I, I write, not every politician I had a bad experience with. I met Pete Buttigieg, talked to him for like 15 minutes. And I even write how if, you're not doing anything that's like weird or like dishonest in the moment when I'm talking to you, 
then I'm not going to have a story. Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, it's that simple. Yeah. Um, Pete Buttigieg and I had a pleasant conversation for 15 minutes. Now, if I stayed enough time with his staffers, would I have maybe found something? Possibly. But, you know, I met Tulsi Gabbard. I've met, I met pretty much every, every person who was running as a Democrat in, for the primaries. Even Marianne Williamson, um, all of them. Wow. Uh, I mean, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to go a different direction here. We can return to that, but, um, talk a little bit about this teacher that you shared in common with Barack Obama. Are there, are there any, any things that stand out about, about her teaching style that, that of course you're being a conservative here, uh, uh, and, and, and Barack Obama being a liberal, uh, uh, did, 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 did this person, do you think influence, uh, uh, influence, uh, Barack in a certain way uh, that that maybe did not influence you or maybe vice versa? What kind of teacher was this? Uh, no, I mean, you have to, this is his fifth grade teacher and my fourth grade teacher. So yeah. Yeah. while I, maybe there might've been some like, you know, very kind of subtle elements of, you know, introducing, because it seems nowadays that they're injecting kind of, leftism ideology younger and younger right, but right. It's certainly nothing that i noticed um in yeah. elementary school you know i mainly remember him teaching me the multiplication tables and um things like that i i, I would say no um but it's just definitely an environment because Honol- uh, punahou school is one of a handful of extremely elite private schools in the state of hawaii hawaii's public school education is generally considered um, one of the worst in the country. And so Barack Obama went to a very, very elite private school. It, and, of course, I'm sure a Facebook fact checker will fact check me. But I know that the tuition, even from kindergarten through 12th grade, is somewhere in the ballpark of $20,000 a year to send kids to this school. And so, you know, I don't make any bones in my book. I don't pretend that I came from, like, you know, this salt-of-the-earth working-class family, I didn't. Um, I grew up very privileged, but so did Barack Obama. His grandparents were able to afford to send him to this very fancy private school. And so I do think there is something in there that kind of shaped um, the education, and it maybe shaped some of my worldview, but I I don't think, you know, um, if anything, I think that growing up in such a left-leaning environment has made me stronger in my beliefs as a, you know, I I wouldn't say like I'm very conservative, but slightly right of center. And I think it's really sharpened uh, my abilities to think on my feet and to be able to have discussions with people who don't think the same way that I do. Yeah. Wow. Okay. So now let's, let's go to Antifa for, for listeners to understand, um, what are they, in your knowledge and your understanding, uh, uh, how long has Antifa been in the United States and where does it come from? Um, so Antifa, it's just like a loose, it's a very loose coalition and it tends to breed from the most extreme parts of socialist groups in the United States that are less radical. But then there's always kind of that, I would say, 5% of every Um, So Democratic Socialists of America is a very large organization. Um, I've dealt with many DSA chapters over the course of my time as an undercover journalist. And most of them are, you know, 
a lot of them are actually relatively decent people who mean well, and they just have a very different ideology from me. That, you know, I still think their ideology would be dangerous to our country, but them themselves, I do not think are dangerous. Um, but there's that 5% of each of these clubs that those are your hardcore radicals. And those are the ones who join the Antifa groups. Um, those are the ones you see out in the streets, you know, causing a lot of the destruction we see, um, violence against our police officers, um, you know, calling for like, I, I've seen videos of people calling for Republicans should get the guillotine. Um, you know, this Kyle Jurek person talked about lining people up on the beach and shooting them. Um, you know, and very openly talked about like wanting to send people like Jeff Bezos to, you know, work on like a chain gang and have to crush rocks because they're a billionaire. Hmm. Wow. So they're, they're almost a, this, an, well, they, I guess they're an an, anarchy uh, organization. Uh, why is Yeah, it, a lot of them are, they do consider themselves um, mostly anarcho communists. Why is it that it seems that they, this is my perception, perhaps it's incorrect, but, uh, or, or uh, uh, why is it that they seem to, uh, uh, they seem to pop up in Democratic run cities uh, rather than uh, conservative uh, cities? Uh, like New well, York, Chicago, Portland, yeah. Well, what's really interesting is that if you actually look at what a lot of these kids are, um, in my experience, is it seems like it's mainly white kids, um, and they mainly come from, like, homes that are, you know, middle to, like, upper middle class, um, which is really kind of fascinating. And it's almost, to me, I don't know, like, I, I'm not the expert on Antifa. Um, like, I know Andy No, he has a book out, like, that specifically, I, I would say he's kind of, like, the expert on Antifa. But... To me, it's almost, it comes across to me after having, you know, talked to several people who are part of Antifa, where they feel like they somehow missed out on being part of like the great civil rights struggle or, you know, any of these other great struggles throughout history. And it's almost like they're, they've kind of invented this struggle somewhat in their heads, where they think that Republicans and like conservatives are these like fascists who are trying to, I don't know what they're trying to do exactly in their minds, but um, that, you know, they think the police are basically out there just like randomly shooting black people. Um, and so they, they justify this in their heads and that's how they justify these actions. Um, it, it is almost like a mental illness um, in a lot of ways. It, it comes across as very delusional in my opinion. I, I, I like how you said that, and that's uh, <laughs> that's that's wonderfully uh, well put. Um, are there any in your uh, in your understanding, knowledge, research? Are there any parallels between because because I because my perception is that there's a there's some type of overlapping here between Antifa and BLM, and it seems like the the players maybe. Uh, playing off of each other uh, to help uh, uh, fuel uh, the individual motives of the two organizations. Are there any uh, funding uh, uh, overlaps that you found? Um, I don't know anything about how these Antifa groups are funded. Um, I will say that a good comparison is, you know, the difference between a square and a rectangle. 
So while not all members of BLM are part of Antifa, all members of Antifa are supporters of BLM. Wow. Um, in, in my opinion, from what I've seen. Um, mind you, once again, that's my experience, but I, I've, I've never seen it where somebody is part of Antifa and they're like, I hate BLM. Um, but I do not think that everyone who's part of BLM is part of Antifa by any means. Um, I think that would be because I, I have friends who support the Black Lives Matter movement. Mm-hmm. And they're certainly not part of Antifa and they're not in support of these violent riots. But I think that the message Black Lives Matter has gotten very um, kind of twisted with the the kind of corporate entity that is Black Lives Matter, which I think is much more somewhat insidious um, because people seem to not be able to take the statement and some of the ideas that you're told what Black Lives Matter stands for and separate it from what the organization is actually doing in practice, if that makes any sense. Yeah, yeah, no, it does. And I appreciate that, uh, the commentary on that. Uh, I want to get your view now on what um, what we've been experiencing globally. And again, I've got uh, author and uh, independent uh, uh, journalist uh, Cassandra Spencer with me. I uh, can get her book at... Amazon.com impact, how I went uh, behind enemy lines in our struggle against the far left. I, the, the discussion we're having is, uh, is, is, is eye-opening. I think it's, it's, it's very informative and I appreciate it, Cassandra. But, but let's get to, for a moment, in your view, having, uh, you know, having the expertise that you have with these various organizations – uh, what's what's happening here now? Now, I, this 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 question is it basically uh, it comes from the premise for you to understand of me uh, doing what I do, and, I, and of course I mentioned to you that Marion was was the first guest on on my program, and um, I was actually invited to start this. And Winwood Radio uh, invited me in to start this, and I says, okay, well, you know, because I told them about the research that I've done on the Zika virus. So here, here in Miami Beach, 2016, there was this Zika virus buzz that was going on and the local media causing this frenzy and hysteria and telling people to spray themselves with this DEET, uh, uh, you know, the, the off, uh, the mosquito repellent. Um, we've got at the same time Oxitec, uh, a British-owned lab uh, running on state-granted land, I think it's in Marathon Key, releasing uh, genetically modified mosquitoes in the atmosphere. Uh, we've got a woman from Key West meeting in D.C. Uh, with the EPA to with a bunch of signatures to try to get the laboratory investigated and closed down. Uh, and she mysteriously is found dead in a swimming pool uh, the morning before she meets with the EPA. Anyway, so Miriam's the first guest on the program. And, of course, you, you, you probably know about her and the honeybee, uh, honey, honey colony collapse disorder and what she's done on her angle um, that, that, that aligns with yours as being an investigative journalist. Uh, she reach out, reaches out to me and I invite her on the program. So anyway, so Zika and then the controversy at the time in Miami Beach uh, 2000, 2016 with the pesticide uh, known as Nailid, a couple of different trade names, Dibrom is another one. Um, and then I start this, I start this show and then I go down the avenue of all sorts of different avenues and wow, here we are today. But, but in your view now, so, uh, not seeing what the future held, uh, I was actually, um, in, um, uh, in the Northwest at the time. Um, and then in my experience, Cassandra, I'm in, again, I'm in South Beach, 2016. I've got the Zika virus. 
which was a epidemic. And I think there were some cases in, uh, in, in San Diego, but we were being told that this thing had come from uh, Recife and Brazil and, um, and then, uh, yeah, and then here we are uh, today, and it's now been over a year that we've had this uh, global epidemic known as a pandemic with uh, COVID-19, which is a, a, a coronavirus. What is this? What's going on here in your view, Sandra, with, with COVID-19? It's, it's been, honestly, it's been very confusing, even for me, um, as somebody who's been a journalist. Now, mind you, I stopped working at Project Veritas at the beginning of 2020, so before the COVID thing started. Um, so I have not kind of been out in the field this whole time. But I would say that there's definitely, it's very strange to me that things that were considered conspiracy theories a year ago are now suddenly, like now that the mainstream press is embracing them, are suddenly um, fact, right? Like the whole idea, the, the Cuomo thing is obviously the most prominent one that's in the news right now. You know, it was you were called a conspiracy theorist if you said that Andrew Cuomo was responsible for all these nursing home deaths um, even several months ago. And then you now, I believe it's even the World Health Organization is saying that it's likely that this virus came from a lab in China. So once again, it was like I thought we were told that it came from bats at a wet market. That was the you know accepted um, explanation of where this virus came from when this all began. So I don't know what's going on, but I, I do find that there is enough, um, there's enough oddities with the whole situation where just things don't add up. And I hope that there are more, if there's somebody out there who's listening to this program, who knows anything, then by all means go to my former employer, Project Veritas um, they have a tip line, Veritas Tips at ProtonMail.com, and help expose this because, you know, this is one of the biggest events that we've had historically in our lifetime, if not the biggest. And, you know, it's destroyed the global economy. It's destroyed so many lives. Um, I've been personally affected by it. The people in my circle have been personally affected by it. And so I, I don't even know. Um if I were to wager a guess at what was going on completely, I would feel that I was overreaching from my level of experience. Yeah, yeah, well said. And I, I, I would, <laughs> uh, I would think. Uh, and I'll tell you this. I'll tell you this much, Cassandra. When I, when I, when I first started this program, uh, like I said, I had no intention of doing it, and um, I was tweeting. Uh, I'd gone, a good friend of mine uh, from, from Brooklyn, uh, rest his soul, uh, he invited me to this town hall meeting. I mean, I mean, I'm coming back, uh, I'm driving across the MacArthur Causeway, I'm heading back to South Beach, and, and a guy calls me, and we, we'd been very good friends for at that point for about five years, and he says, he says, Ian, you got to come to the town hall meeting with me uh, tonight, and uh, it's this, uh, it's, there's, this, there's this local debate about the Zika virus and the pesticide being used, and it is, I, 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 and, and before that, I, I, I didn't think anything of it. I, I, I thought, oh my gosh, I can't get bit by a mosquito because they're carrying the, it's carrying the Zika virus. And then I go to the town hall meeting and uh, I'm sitting in this town hall meeting and there's 300 people and the, the Philip Levine is the mayor at the time and he's on the phone with somebody in the CDC and he's got his a personal lawyer with him and he's got, he's got the other uh, city council members with him. And, and there's like, there's only one city council person that is, uh, they're speaking out uh, against the pesticide, and everybody else is just kind of going along with it, with the spraying of this pesticide. Whereas just, there's this outcry. Well, what was interesting is that the pesticide was causing uh, uh, what's known as microcephaly, which was the retardation of the the growth of the brain in the fetus. 
Um, but then the CDC is telling us the Zika virus is calling, doing the same thing. So the, so the locals are saying, well, wait a second, use, use, a, uh, use, a, use an organic, a safer pesticide that Broward was using, something that's safer. Um, and then the, the local mayor in Miami-Dade uh, was, uh, was just adamant. Uh, with with Scott uh, at the governor's office, so they were just adamant about using this this pesticide, which was known to cause microcephaly. But it was like this double standard because the Zika virus is also causing this uh, this 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 uh, this this microcephaly. So anyway, so I started doing the show, and Marion found me on Twitter and says, "Hey, can you can you write an article for my website? Uh, just as a, you know, just as somebody that was exposed to this." And I said, "Sure." So I spent probably three weeks of uh, some real intense research, and I wrote this article and. Um, I'll tell you what, I'll tell you what, Cassandra, I just, I had nobody that would pay any heed to the information that I had uncovered. Um, and, uh, and, and it kind of, it, it, it coincides with what you said about, uh, about some of these, what considered to be theories, uh, now are, uh, more accepted. Uh, and, 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 um, you know, I, I just, for the longest time I had, uh, Alan McCoy, for instance, Alan McCoy was one of the early guests on the program and he was, he's got a PhD from, from Yale. And this is what's interesting, Sandra. So he, he'd written, uh, he'd written his thesis off of, uh, research that he had done on the golden, golden triangle of the opium trade in, in, in the Far East Asia. Uh, and, uh, and he returned to, uh, New Haven and he gets, he gets a knock on the, on his door. And again, this is a guy working on his PhD. I don't know how old he is at the time. 22. I don't know what he, I don't know what it is. He gets a knock on his door and it's the CIA. And the CIA is telling him to hand over all of his research. He says, what are you talking about? This is my, this is my thesis. Uh, I, I'm a researcher. I'm working on my PhD. Again, remind you, this is Yale. And, um, and so he sues the CIA uh, and, and he wins. He, he, he wins. He, 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 uh, he, so, 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 so this is, you know, these are, these are kind of the stories that, uh, that I was kind of uncovering when I'm doing, <laughs> and I'm going down these various avenues, uh, all starting with the debate on the Zika virus. Uh, and the pesticide at the time. Um, and, uh, you know, now it's like, oh my gosh, some of these are kind of like golden nuggets for, for some of these people that uh, never really looked into this. So um, again, we're getting back to, or I'm getting back to the importance of a civilian independent researcher that's not, not align themselves uh, to mainstream media. And really the phenomenon of why uh, that's, uh, that's becoming, uh, increasingly important. Anyway, so, um, as we wind down and I thank you for your time greatly, um, I, would like you to leave some closing, uh, remarks, uh, uh, some closing thoughts for listeners. And, uh, and again, Cassandra Spencer, independent researcher, author of impact, how I went behind enemy lines in our struggle against the far left. It's now on pre-order, uh, go there now, uh, pre-order copy for you. Uh, you and your family and a friend, associates, um, do it now, do it today. Cassandra, some closing comments, some closing thoughts for listeners. Um, just some closing thoughts are that you never know when you're going to be in the position. Like, like you said, the importance of the kind of citizen journalist, citizen researcher. And you never, when I worked at Facebook, I never anticipated being in a position to blow the whistle on something like having to do with political censorship. But there will be times in your life where you are at the right place at the right time and you have a choice to make the right decision or not. And I knew that making the right decision was not going to be easy. I knew that it probably meant losing my job. Um, and there were a lot of hard times ahead. I, I won't sugarcoat it. But it was without a doubt 
the correct decision. And in the long run, now that I can kind of see the grand scope of what I have been able to do with my life, it was one of the best decisions I ever made. Wonderful. Beautifully well said. A wonderful way to end the program. Cassandra Spencer, ladies and gentlemen. Cassandra, thank you for joining Discussing the Truth. Oh, thank you for having me, Ian. I appreciate it. Um, look, uh, okay, so I, you know, I say this. I, I started the show uh, 2016. And um, I, I'm now coming up on the fifth year of this program. And... Um, Cassandra probably said uh, things uh, the most beautifully they've been said, perhaps of any of the episodes that I've done. Um, But folks, you know, regardless of where you stand uh, politically, I don't take a political side on the program. Yes, Donald Trump called me a a prize fighter. That was because of my physical appearance. Okay, that wasn't because of what I do. Or maybe he knew what I do. I don't know. But he called me a prize fighter. I have it on video. IanTrachet.com. Um, I'm simply somebody like you, whether you are, uh, you consider yourself liberal or you consider yourself a conservative, um, I'm simply a human being like you and I enjoy living in peace. I enjoy privacy. I enjoy honesty. I enjoy having people that I can trust and I can love. I think those are probably all characteristics that you identify yourself with as having. I would hope so. Um... What makes things um, beautiful in the United States is that we live under a constitution which is, in my view, the most perfect governing document ever written by the minds of men, okay, um, or human beings. Okay, not excluded, not I mean gender uh, uh, biased. Um, I didn't write it. And it's, it's, it's that foundation upon which uh, this country has built itself into a melting pot of all cultures and religions and languages globally. And no other institute or no other government has done that outside as well as uh, the United States has. So, uh, yes, when your values, when your conviction is called... Uh, into place, there will be a time in your life where you will need to stand up for what is right and do that with honor. This has been another discussion of truth. I'm your host, Ian Hamilton Trottier. Um, look for my next episode coming up very shortly. And again, Freedom Reserved, uh, No More Lies is available. Amazon.com on pre-order. Go now. Until next episode, until next discussion, folks. Be awesome.